Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to Talking Sports with Evan, a rare Monday afternoon edition of Talking Sports with Evan. I am Evan Watalison. This is uh, my show here, and I appreciate the support for all those that either watch the videos live later on or listen to the audio version only of the show. Um, didn't get a show in last week. Don't really want to go into the reasons why. It was just a difficult week um, overall um, for me, but... I am here today to get you caught up on my thoughts on what's going on in the world of sports, especially Brewers, Packers, NBA Finals, and Milwaukee Bucks, and what the Bucks should do moving forward. And one of the things I will discuss in today's episode, and I'm sure it'll be a surprise to very few, but I was wrong. Um, I made a comment in a show a couple weeks ago that I was feeling pretty confident about, and... Uh, Needless to say, like I, like I said, surprise to probably nobody, but I was wrong. So I'm going to talk about what I mean by that um, in a little bit. But for those uh, first being Memorial Day, I do want to, um, you know, you know, say my thought, my thanks to all those that paid the ultimate sacrifice serving this country in um, conflicts throughout the globe. Uh, you know, thank you for them for what they did for this country. And I thank you for those that served. And um, and I hope that we continue to do better helping and working with the veterans that are still alive um, so they get the proper care and the housing and whatnot that they so rightfully deserve. Um, get rid of the red tape and uh, the hurdles that a lot of veterans have to jump through in order to get the medical care and treatment that they need and mental health care that they need. So now to go to what I was wrong about. Um, I think this might have been a show that I strictly did um, an audio version of, or it might have been video version, one of the two. And my question was, was talking about, is Christian Yelich back? Um is Christian Yelich back? That was my question. Yelich went through a stretch where he was hitting the baseball extremely well, hitting it hard, hitting with power, looked like he was seeing the baseball better. And two weeks later, I was wrong. I wasn't stating that he was gonna he was back to his MVP form, but I was starting to think that he potentially was back to the point where he could carry the offense. And we don't need Christian Yelich to be a, a a batting average a batting average champion, uh, hitting forty whatever home runs. We just need him to be a consistent pres- presence in the lineup. That when push comes to shove, when he comes up to bat, you know there's a chance that he's going to do something special with that. And he needs to be more consistent as well. And unfortunately, he's not, and he's probably never going to be. Um, before the year started, I was commenting on how I felt that if he could be a between 260 and 280 type hitter, I think that would really do great things for Milwaukee. But I honestly think his, and I know stats don't really mean a lot yet at this point as they can fluctuate a ton um, right now. A uh, stretch of a couple two for four games, and next thing you know, you look like a batting champion or a couple oh for three days and you look like you know you can't hit the broad side of a barn. I get it's early 
it's still early in this baseball season. Uh, we're still like 40-something games in. But what we're seeing so far from Christian Yelich as a brewer this season is more of what we saw last year. And at this point, and I need to stop being a the roller coaster person because prior to me stating that Yelich was on the right track to be back, I had commented after he did nothing. I think he struck out with the bases loaded or something like that. He had his chance to be Mr. Clutch. No, this is what it was. It was a game where the Brewers offense completely exploded. Everybody in the lineup had a base hit. Everyone in the lineup got on base except for him. And my thought there was, is that unfortunately we're never going to see Christian Yelich be a dominant player again. And then after a couple of weeks, he started to hit the baseball better, started to make it look like he was back, started to make it look like he was trending in that right direction. And now in the last seven games, he's four for 24 with one run scored, one RBI, three walks, eight strikeouts, batting 167 on base is 259 and slugging is 167. Over the course of his last 15 games, so seven games isn't a big sample size. So let's break it down to 15 games. He's 10 for 56 with six runs scored, zero home runs, one RBI, seven walks, 15 strikeouts, and he's 179, 270, 196. Last 30 games, 29 of 111, um, four home runs, 13 RBIs, 29 strikeouts, 15 walks, and 261, 354, 432. So my my thinking is with Yelich right now is he's probably what, you know, the last 30 game stretch is probably what he is. He's going to bat between 250 and 260, um, hit home runs every now and then and draw a lot of walks. But I don't think he's going to be what we saw just two weeks ago where he's batting well over 300 over the course of 15 games and looking like he, he was back. I don't think we're ever going to see that Yelich again. And it is disappointing because the Brewers are paying him a ton of money to be an MVP caliber player. And I get baseball is one of those sports. You just never know what's going to happen. Baseball is a game of luck more so than any other sport. But the Brewers need Yelich to, they need Yelich to be able to carry this offense and he can't, he just can't do it anymore. And they're batting him third still in the lineup trying to make him be somebody that could carry the offense. And I get right now you have to bat him third because Willie Adamas is on a rehab assignment. Hunter Renfro is on the IL. Um, you don't have a lot of options right now. Um, and I don't really know what you do at this point, but I think what you got to consider doing, what you got to think about until he can be more consistent, which I don't know if he's going to be, I think you got to move him down in the order. I think when Adamus and when Renfro come back, I think the batting lineup, ideal batting lineup, you should have Colton Wong still leading off. And I know Colton Wong is struggling right now, but his track record tends to hover in the uh, positive direction. Colton Wong leading off. Willie Adamus, um, Luis Urias batting second. Willie Adamus batting third. Hunter Renfro clean up. Roddy Tellez fifth, and then I think you put Yelich at sixth in the lineup. Then you got your Tyrone Taylor, and then whoever else you're playing, McCutcheon, Navarez, 
Caratini, whoever else, kind of round out the bottom part of the lineup. I think that's the route you got to go. Because um, batting him third is not helping anything. And he, you're, you're, you're ra- wasting a lot of potential runs with batting him third. And you run into the same problem as we saw last week in a loss against the Cardinals by batting Andrew McCutcheon third or fourth. You're leaving a lot of runs on the field. Uh, McCutcheon, who was extremely clutch early on the season, he's not clutch anymore. And he's trending in the opposite direction when it comes to clutch base hits. He had the bases loaded twice against the Cardinals, I think it was Friday night, or maybe it was against the Padres. But last week, he had the bases loaded twice, and they got no run scored. I think yeah, it was against the Padres Wednesday, um, I think Tuesday night. But he has the bases loaded twice and can't get a run across twice, leaving six men on base by himself. And if any of those players score, if he if he scores any of those runs, the Brewers win the game. But unfortunately, he couldn't couldn't do anything, and they end up not scoring any runs twice with the bases loaded with two outs and him up the bat. I maybe he's still getting, you know, back into the swing of things after being off for a while with COVID. I don't know, but we need him to perform in these clutch situations, just like we need Yelich to perform in these clutch situations. So when they finally get healthy, which unfortunately it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon, because now Brandon Woodworth just got added to the IL 15 need IL with ankle discomfort. We were hoping he was going to avoid the I.L., but unfortunately he didn't. So we'll be without him for a while. Um, Freddie Peralta is out likely till August. Um, Wenfro and Adamas should be back soon, hopefully. But hopefully no, none of the other position players get hurt. But as I just got done saying a little bit ago, I think the, I think at this point the batting lineup should be Colton Wong, uh, Urias, Adamas, Wenfro, Telez, Yelich, Navias, Taylor, and then um, Kane, McCutcheon, whoever. I think that's kind of who you should go with your your batting lineup right now. And I think if got if those guys produce, I think you're going to have a pretty dangerous lineup, especially with McCutcheon or Kane batting eighth or me batting ninth. Um, I think you could have a pretty dangerous lineup. The other thing I think Milwaukee needs to do right now until Hunter Wenfro comes back off the IL and people are going to call me crazy because he's the, I think you can safely say he's become the Kevin King of the Brewers. I think you have to play Keston Hira um, at, uh, at either at first base or DH every day until Hunter Wenfro comes off the IL. And here, here's why I, I think at outfield you're fine with your combination of Tyrone Taylor, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, Lorenzo Cain, those three basically covering your center field and your right field. I think on days where Tyrone Taylor plays center field, McCutcheon plays right, and days that Tyrone uh, Taylor plays right field, uh, McCutcheon plays center with occasionally playing left to spell Yelich, who might, you know, might play some DH a little bit. And I think the reason why you want to continue, you want to give Keston Hira as many at bats as possible between now and when Renfro comes off the IL, is to truly see what you have in him. He's his at bats have been better this year. He's still striking out at a high rate, but when you 
when you play every other day, of course, you strike out once in that game, you're going to have a high strikeout percentage. But get him more at-bats. He's hitting the ball extremely hard, hitting the ball extremely well. He had two home runs last week. Uh, I think you play him consistently to see if he can be remotely close to what he was his rookie year. And if he can be remotely close to what he was your rookie year, you have a couple of top, you have a couple of decisions then you have to make. You either continue to play him until he doesn't play that way anymore, or you build up enough interest in him to potentially trade him at the deadline to bring in another pitcher, to bring in another bat, to bring in a veteran. Um, I think that's why you need to play Hira almost every day because if he continues to perform and hit the bat ball well, get on base, hit home runs, draw walks, he's going to either play himself into the everyday lineup, which then you have tough decisions to make with what do you do with guys like McCutcheon? Does he strictly you know, become more of a, a, a fourth or fifth outfielder? Or you can trade him and improve the team um, come trade deadline. Or you get the Keston Hira you've seen the last couple of seasons and the early portion of this season, which is a guy who just can't hit major league pitching consistently. And you try to move him for what you can for some low level prospects and maybe going into a new, new system, new team, you know, maybe he allows him to become more of a consistent player. But I think that's why at this point, until Wenfro comes off the IL, which could be as early as this weekend, it could be as early as early next week. I think you need to put Keston Hira in that lineup pretty much every day because he he's not like a, a, a Jace Peterson or a, a Brasso who uh, you can sit for three or four days, put in the lineup, and he's going to produce. Hira needs a bats, and right now, um, earlier in the year, there weren't a lot of at bats for him. Now there's a lot of potential at bats for him with Adamus and Wenfro on the IL. Get him those at bats and see what he does with them. Um, and I know it's going to be extremely unpopular opinion. And I know most Brewer fans are going to whine and complain at me even mentioning to potentially play him um, more frequently. Cause like I said, I think Keston heroes become the, um, I think Keston heroes become the Kevin King of the Brewers that no matter what he does, uh, on a positive note, he has one bad thing happen, and he's the worst possible player in the history of the game, which he's not. People love to overreact, but I think we need to get him more at-bats between now and um, by the time Renfro, Renfro comes off the IL. That, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. Um, I'm wrong. I was wrong about Kristen Yelich turning it around a little bit, trending in that right direction. I couldn't be more wrong about that. Since I made that comment, he's completely gone the other direction. So maybe I was just a jinx, and maybe now I've jinxed Keston Hira, and he's going to not get a base hit again for the next three weeks. Because, you know, like I said, maybe I jinxed him. But I just think you got to go that route at this point. Other Brewer comments, and one of my buddies is kind of giving me a hard time regarding uh, – me being such a, a supporter of Lorenzo Kane and Lorenzo Kane is washed and Tyrone Taylor needs to play every single day and things like that. I've never taken a strong position on, uh, on Lorenzo Kane. 
And before he comments on how I can never admit when I'm wrong, I always have to be right. I just spent the first 10 minutes of the show explaining why I am as wrong as I can possibly be the majority of the time. My position on the Lorenzo Kane and the Tyrone Taylor uh, discussion has always been consistently this. And I've said it to people I've talked to. I've said it on this show. Um, I've said it multiple times is that until Tyrone Taylor's bat, because Tyrone Taylor is never going to be the outfielder Lorenzo Cain is. Just never going to happen. He is an above average to average outfielder, especially in center fielder. I think he's a better corner outfielder than he is center fielder. Um, and there's really not a spot for him to play corner spot right now every day with Wenfro and uh, Yelich at this point. But... My stance on Tyrone Taylor has always been this. When his bat can overtake Lorenzo Cain's value on defense, because Lorenzo Cain's going to save you a few runs a game. Uh, there's a, a, a play against the Cardinals where they lost 4-2. to two. That was Friday's game. They lose 4-2. to two. And Suter gives up a couple runs in his uh, first inning of work. And, of course, everyone wants to bash Suter, and he sucks. He's awful. You know, get rid of him, stop using him, things like that, which they didn't really have a choice because the guy you normally would have used in that situation has to start because of Freddie Peralta's injury. But anyways, um, there's a ball that got over Tyrone Taylor's head that if that's Lorenzo Cain out there, that's an out. And I know – you can't say that. You're speculating. You don't know that. If you're listening to Brewers warm up yesterday with Matt Pauley on 620 WTMJ, he was talking about it. That was a six, you know, that ball is caught 60% of the time. I think is the advanced stats commented on. Lorenzo Kane probably makes that catch nine out of ten times. And I think he makes that catch, and we have a whole different ball game especially with Keston Hira hitting a two-run home run in the top of the ninth inning um, to make it 4-2, to two, and then unfortunately they couldn't get any more runs across. When Tyrone Taylor's bat, which it has been lately, Tyrone Taylor's bat has been definitely, and I'm going to look up his stats um, over the course of the past few games, when his bat over his bat value overtakes Lorenzo Cain's defensive value, that's when you start playing him more consistently over Lorenzo Cain. And lately, it has been in the last seven games, he's batting 273, 292, 455 with a home run and five RBIs. The last 15 games, three home runs, 12 RBIs, 275, 321, 490. And over his past 30 games, four home runs, 19 RBIs. 265, 303, 461. Well, Lorenzo Cain, before yesterday's win against St. Louis, is batting in the 180s, 170s, which obviously isn't good enough. So, yes, Tyrone Taylor's bat value is overtaken what Lorenzo Cain gives you on defense. So, yes, you have to play Ty Tyrone Taylor more often um, than Lorenzo Cain at this point. And Kane's somebody that you can switch between center, right, and left uh, still. I think he could probably play pretty high level at all three outfield spots. And Kane's one of the top defensive center fielders I've seen in a very long time. Um, that's why you still play him 
But as I said, when he starts, when Taylor's bat overtakes Kane's defense, you play Taylor more often, and it has. And that's why Tyrone Taylor is getting a lot more at-bats lately um, than uh, Lorenzo Kane. He's had 22 at-bats in his last seven games, 51 at-bats in his last 15 games. And then if you look up Lorenzo Kane, uh, before Hunter Renfro's injury, um, before Hunter Renfro's injury, Lorenzo Kane wasn't getting a lot of at-bats. And over the course of his last, you know, so basically they're even. Ta- Taylor and Kane are even in a, the at-bats category right now over the last seven and 15 games. And mostly that's because Hunter Renfro hasn't played, uh, I think, since um, early last week. So that's why it's kind of evened out. But if you go back further than that, Tyrone Taylor has been getting a lot more at-bats than we've seen Kane get. Um, Other Brewer comments I want to make, and this is why you can't be so reactionary all the time when it comes to baseball, is after the Brewers beat the Cardinals in game one of the series, a lot of applause and celebration that the Brewers are so much better than the Cardinals. They lose the next two. The same people are now saying that the Cardinals are just a better team than the Brewers, and eventually they're going to overtake Milwaukee and run away with the division. And now the Brewers win yesterday 8 to nothing. Baseball is a sport you can't be that reactionary. You can't be too high. You can't get too low. You just got to stay, you know, enjoy the ride. There's going to be games where the bats come alive and they score eight runs. And there's going to be games that the bats don't score at all and they score one or two runs. It's going to happen. It's baseball. The Brewers have the pitching staff, the starting rotation to win a lot of those games. Um, they are great in one-run games uh, this season. Uh, I think they have one walk-off win of the season so far, so they haven't really won too often when they've been down late in the game. Keston here a walk-off home run uh, the last uh, time they were at home uh, during the last homestand. That's the only like late heroics, heroics the Brewers have had. Um, but with baseball, you just got to, you know, Take it for what it is. You can't get too high. You can't get too low. Just enjoy the ride and accept the fact that guys are going to get hit into double plays sometimes. Accept the fact that guys are going to um, strike out with bases loaded and nobody out. It's going to happen. And uh, you're going to enjoy the game a lot better if you uh, just enjoy the ride. And like for right now, um, as and this might be a little delayed, but the Brewers are down two to one. Ethan Small, who's making his major league debut, has the bases loaded with two outs, and you know we'll see if he can get out of it uh, with Beliquez, uh right fielder batting today, who's one for one uh, in his big league career so far. Um, but we'll see if uh, Small can get out of it. And regardless of what Ethan Small does today, don't overreact. He doesn't suck. He isn't awful. And he isn't the best thing ever. Um, remember Ashby's first career start. He gave up seven runs in the first inning and barely – I don't think he even pitched in the second inning. And he's been one of the more consistent pitchers ever since. And now he's going to be in the starting rotation every day. Uh, or Not every – but, you know, he's going to be making his turn every five days now due to – Freddie Peralta being on the uh, IL and likely not going to be back until August. So 
Ashby's in that starting rotation every day. Ethan Small is probably going to get another start or two with Woody on the IL with an ankle injury. So we just got to be patient with these young pitchers, and the Brewers' pitchers are good enough to keep them in games when the offense is struggling. And that's what we've seen quite a bit. And Corbin Burns is just on a completely different level. Burns is clearly, in my opinion, the best pitcher in baseball. He showed yesterday striking out 11 Cardinals. A Cardinal team that doesn't strike out much strikes uh, strikes out 11. And again, they don't strike out a lot, and he struck out 11. So enough Brewer talk. And, you know, I'm going to be talking a lot more Brewers now that the Bucks are done, the uh, um, Packers are in OTAs, whatnot. I'm going to be talking a lot more. Milwaukee Brewers and a lot more Major League Baseball moving forward. Um, if you're not a baseball person, I apologize, but that's just what I'm going to be talking more about. Um, Packers, OTA started last week. No Aaron Rodgers, no Sammy Watkins, and probably not going to have any Aaron Rodgers this week either as um, the match has started this week. Um, well, Ethan Small won't be getting out of the bases loaded jam. It'll be Trevor Kelly that has to get out of the bases loaded jam instead. But, you know, we'll see if he can, uh, Trevor Kelly can do it. And I get why you take Ethan Small out in that situation. But anywho, a lot of people in the media, nationally, locally, have been complaining a lot that Aaron Rodgers is not at OTAs. I don't care that he's not there. I really do don't care that Aaron Rodgers is not at OTAs. It's not him throwing the ball in shorts and t-shirts right now or not isn't really going to matter at this point. Um, He's been around long enough. It's not going to take him. And, and I get they have a lot of rookie receivers, a lot of young guys uh, that Rodgers needs to get on the same page with rather quickly. They have training camp, and they have the mandatory stuff that he will have that opportunity to do that. He doesn't have to be there last week in order to um, be able to throw a 1,000 touchdown passes to Christian Watson and Dubs and whatnot. He just needs to you know, be there in the mandatory stuff, which I don't think he was last year. Be there in uh, – no, he wasn't last year. Be there in training camp and take all the reps there. The, the, the positive thing of him not being at OTAs right now is you have a young quarterback that needs all the reps he can possibly get after a rookie season two years ago of not getting any reps. He's not going to have two straight off seasons of getting every single rep in practice, including working with the new quarterbacks coach, Tom Clements, who has done really well developing quarterbacks throughout his career. I talked about it a few months ago talking about the different quarterbacks that Tom Clemens has worked with that have been pretty productive NFL quarterbacks. And we now get to see, we now get to see if he can turn Jordan love into a productive NFL quarterback. Will it ever be in green Bay? We don't know. I, it probably not with Rogers around, but that's what we now get to see. We get to see Jordan love get another off season of getting almost every single rep in these um, optional organized team activities so don't need to overreact right now no need to talk about it every chance we get no need to to beat beat it like a dead horse which some love to do um you know some love just some just love beating um 
beating the fact that Rodgers isn't there like a dead horse. Um, you don't have to. It doesn't matter that he's not there. And it's fine that he's not there. We'll see what happens in mandatory camp, uh, and we'll see what happens in training camp with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. And I wouldn't. I would have preferred Sammy Watkins being there. But here's the thing: these are optional. Like you don't have to be there. Years ago, yes, it was optional, meaning you better go, or you're risking potentially a roster spot. But nowadays, it truly means optional. They're not mandatory. So let's stop with the woe is me, Aaron Rodgers isn't here. Stop with the woe is me, Sammy Watkins isn't here. And let's, you know, let the young guys get all these reps right now that's going to benefit them come training camp. They're learning the offense. They're learning the route tree. They're learning what the Packers want to do from one play to another. Let's just, and and I know what's going to happen. The week one or first training camp game or a preseason game or week one, Rodgers is going to struggle to find the young rookie receivers and they're going to be not on the same page. And everyone's going to be talking about if Aaron Rodgers, if he would have been there on May 2022 at organized team activities would have made a difference or not. And I think it would have and things like that. That's all we're going to be talking about and beating it, beating it, you know, a dead horse some more. But Aaron Rodgers not being in organized team activities right now, voluntary organized team activities right now, isn't going to mean Jack come September, October, November. It's not going to mean anything come that time. At all. And these extra reps that he potentially could have got with um, Christian Watson or whatnot isn't going to matter. And do you want to give a shout out to my my buddy Scott who shared a story uh, from Packers? Well, Yahoo picked it up, but it's from Packers Wire about Christian Watson and um, Randall Cobb being extremely high on Christian Watson. And yes, Scott, you were high on Watson. I was too. I just didn't want him at 22 or 28 because I didn't think the value was there. I think the value for Christian Watson at uh, 33 was perfect. If they could have got back in the first round, it took him at 32. Perfect as well. But I like what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing about Christian Watson so far. And he'll figure it out. Yeah, he had a lot of drops in the... Uh, in the regular in the uh, college, but he'll figure it out just like James Jones did, just like Jordy Nelson did. Guys that had a lot of drops early in the NFL, they'll he'll figure it out. If not, he'll be another Jeff Janis, which I don't think he's going to be. I think he's a lot better player. I think he's a lot better athlete. I think he's a lot better all around person or player than Jeff Janis ever was. There's a reason Jeff Janis went in the seventh round, and Christian Watson was a near first round pick Um, because Christian Watson looks better, plays better, uh, looks the part, plays the part more so than Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis was your example of as a wide receiver, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. Couldn't run routes, couldn't catch the ball, was a body catcher, just couldn't learn the offense. And he had every opportunity to learn that offense, to learn that route tree, to become better at running routes. He just could never do it. Hence why he never played except special teams and why he is now out of the league. And the reason why I'm bringing up Jeff Janis here is I've seen these comparisons because they both went to small schools. I'm seeing these comparisons between Watson and Janis. 
Janice wasn't half the player Christian Watson had the potential to be. Janice was a prototypical seventh-round pick who could become something more than just a borderline special teams player or not. And he unfortunately didn't become anything more than just a borderline bottom of the roster special teams player. And finally, NBA Finals set to start, Boston versus Golden State. Again, another example of me being wrong. I thought Miami was going to beat Boston, but Boston is better than I give them credit for. And, of course, Miami had some injuries um, that they had to deal with. Boston did as well. Um, But I was wrong. Boston's a better team than I give them credit for. But I don't see them beating Golden State. I think Golden State is the better team. Um, the shots that the shots that Miami were missing, the shots that Milwaukee was missing, the shots that Brooklyn were missing, Golden State's not going to miss. Um, I think Golden State, you, uh, this is probably their, one of their last runs with their big three, Draymond, Clay, and Seth. They're all getting up there in age, but sure enough, uh, Poole, has really shown that he's t- he's becoming a solid NBA starter. Um, Looney is becoming a solid NBA starter. So I think with Poole and Looney to go along with Draymond, Clay, and Seth, I think that's too much for Boston to overcome. I think with Clay, Poole, and Seth, I think that offensive firepower that's potentially there. It's too much for Boston to overcome. And I get Boston's a really strong defensive team, and they're going to force you into a lot of uh, dumb turnovers, as we saw with Milwaukee and with Miami. But I think Golden State's just too good of an offense, and they're healthy. Uh, Milwaukee, and I know I'm speculating here, and nobody asked for my opinion, but this is my show. I'm giving it anyway. If Chris Middleton plays in that Boston-Milwaukee series, Milwaukee wins that series, no doubt. Fortunately, he didn't play. Um, Miami, I don't really know what happened there. I know, you know, Jimmy Butler gave it everything he could, but he was missing his, um, missing guys. Uh, guys weren't making shots around him. And we saw what we saw um, in the Miami-Boston series. And get, tip your hat to Boston. They earned this opportunity, and... You know, I didn't, I'm not, I didn't devalue Milwaukee's run last year when they got through a Brooklyn team that was without Clay, uh, Kyrie Irving and was having a hobbled um, James Harden uh, last year with Brooklyn. I didn't devalue that. I'm not going to devalue what Boston did. Um, they bought, as I said last year, Milwaukee could, all, all Milwaukee could do was beat who was in front of them. They, they couldn't control the other stuff that was going on with the other team. All Milwaukee could do was play their game and try to make the NBA Finals run, and they did. All Boston could do is take advantage of what they had in front of them. You know, they got Brooklyn with, you know, Durant and uh, Kyrie and not, you know, and I, you know, they didn't play the best uh, at times in the series. They they took advantage of that, and they played their game, and they won the series. Milwaukee without Chris Middleton. Boston didn't say, well, we're going to let up and not play as hard because you're without your second-best offensive player. 
No, they busted their ass. They played hard, and they earned a seven-game series victory. And in Miami, oh, Jimmy Butler's dealing with an injured knee, playing through that. Um, yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to take it easy on you. No, they didn't say that at all. They They took advantage of the opportunity that was before them, and lo and behold, they're in the NBA Finals. And unfortunately for Boston, I think this is where their luck runs out because you have a first-year coach a team full of guys that have never been there before against Steve Kerr, against Seth Curry, against Klay Thompson, against Draymond Green. You have a championship core in the NBA championship, in the the NBA finals. And I think, unfortunate for Boston, their luck runs out. So with that said, I hope you all have a safe and wonderful day. Hope you uh, enjoy your, your, your picnics and whatever you're doing today. And I will uh, get back at you uh, maybe later on this week, maybe early next week. We'll see. But with that said, thank you all for watching, and I'll talk to you all later.